Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, you're listening to The Future of Media Explained with me, Press Gazette, Editor-in-Chief, Dominic Ponsford. And this week, we're learning all about how to build a direct audience with newsletters. And joining me on the Press Gazette podcast sofa is UK editor Charlotte Tobit. Hi, Charlotte. Hello, Dom. So we're talking about newsletters, something we've been doing at Press Gazette for a long time. Well, you said at least 2009, we reckon. I believe I've been sending out a daily newsletter every day to Press Gazette readers since 2009. That is a lot of emails. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? You think we'd have more subscribers. Not that we've not got a good amount. We've got about 10,000. But you think we'd have millions by now. But unfortunately, newsletters, people drop off, don't they, as, almost as quickly as they join. So it's, they are quite hard to build an audience. And it, But isn't it better to have an engaged, smaller number than just loads of people that Exa- don't even bother anymore? Exactly. Our 10,000 are now hand-picked. We get rid of people if, like, it's a one-in, one-out situation. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, it's a great topic because I think it's one of the themes we've identified, isn't it, for 2023 newsletters, podcasts, subscriptions, online paywalls are the sort of three big themes that I think we've talked about so far this year as being areas that publishers are investing in. Yeah, I think they decided that newsletters and podcasts in particular were good ways to build relationships and add personality, add value, all those sort of buzzwords at the moment. And it's fun, isn't it? Because email's sort of, it's as old as the hills, isn't it? It feels like it. It's ancient tech, but it's still really effective. In the grand scheme of the internet, email's been around like a long time. But yeah, I would say the past few years maybe shortly before covid or around that time they really came into their own people really wanted that sort of curated product instead of just overwhelming stuff like something that you can finish i think that comes up in this podcast but i really related to that almost as long as i can remember although when i did my first job we didn't have email we just used to get the post and i can remember going for job interviews where they used to give you a post opening test so you'd, they'd give you a bunch of mail and you'd go through it and see if you could spot the stories and spot the stuff that should be chucked in the bin. That's incredible. Amazing days. I digress, So, Who are we speaking to this week about how we can raise our game on, on newsletters? Yes, yeah, so I spoke to 
Metro.co.uk editor Deborah Arthur. She's been editor on the site since 2014 and she's previously been editor of Female at The Mail and she helped to launch Mail Online. Um, She's also previously worked on the launch of the free sheet London Light, if you remember that, back from sort of 2004 to 2009. She knows a lot about sort of both print and online audiences and launching stuff and what makes audiences tick. The London free sheet wars, heady days. London Light versus the London paper. Oh. Yeah, I wasn't in London then, but I did a bit of research when I was talking to Deborah, and there's a whole sort of turf war I didn't realise. The streets were awash with newsprint. It was a great time. So Metro had a bit of um, a rocky few years. It's always made money, and it's always made good money. And I think it's always a great read. I love Metro. I think it's masterfully put together. But since the pandemic, they've lost, is it around half of their circulation? They're building it back now. But it's safe to say they need to look for other ways to reach the audience as well as that print edition because the print edition's looking not quite as safe as it once did, I guess. They have built back a bit. I spoke to Metro, the newspaper editor, Ted Young, 2021, about how they'd managed to get back over one million distribution, but it's up to that. And it is less than it used to be, obviously, and they did have hard times. But yeah, as you say, they're trying out lots of interesting things online, which is where the future lies. And there's some interesting stuff that Deborah talked about, which is previously the print and online newsrooms were very separate. But actually, in the past year, they've started working together much more closely again. Okay, brilliant. So what's going on? So Deborah did start by talking about that. She set the scene for us from the Metro newsroom, including how big it is, how many journalists they've got, and how the print and online teams work together. At Metro, we have around 100 journalists online, ranging from news, entertainment, showbiz, lifestyle. We have video desks, social desks, so all the usual suspect search. We all work out of Derry Street in Kensington and we have done for many years now. But we actually now sit in the same newsroom as the print team. So this year, in fact, it was last year now, in spring of 2022, print and digital sort of reunited in a way that we hadn't been united for about eight years. So the digital arm of the operation, Metro moved closer to that part of the operation. It moved away from the print So the print product was producing the newspaper quite separately from how we were, the the online team was producing online content. We've now brought those together. So we're working really closely together. We're we're using content from paper and we're uploading that to online and we're putting online content in the paper. So it's a really lovely relationship. It's working really well. So that's how things will be developing from here on. Ah, interesting. I didn't realise you reunited. Lovely. lovely. (laughs) Always nice to hear. Okay, great. I thought before we get stuck into newsletters and other things in particular, it might be good to hear just how you're doing at the moment and maybe how things have changed over the past few years. Obviously, COVID changed a lot for a lot of publishers. How are you feeling about things at the moment? It did. I mean, the biggest change was that we all started working from home, wasn't it? If you'd asked me 10 years ago if we could put out a website, hundreds of articles a day and or a newspaper from home, I think I would have said no. When I was on the Daily Mail, on Mail Online, it just felt like it was so fast paced. There's so much happening and there's there's so much coming in. It really feels like you have to talk to people face to face in order to, to get things done, to do things quickly enough and to get just get the nuance. But actually, we did pivot incredibly well to working in a home environment. We use Slack endlessly. I think everyone over the pandemic started feeling like they got far too many Slack groups. 
But to be able to do breaking news, breaking entertainment news, and there was so much breaking news during the pandemic, wasn't there? It was just endless. To be able to do that from home was an incredible feat and an achievement. Hats off to everyone who did it. The industry since then, it has changed. I think platforms where we traditionally get quite a lot of our traffic, Facebook and Google, there has been a lot of change there. Things fluctuate, things are moving in those businesses, and that has affected the way that we approach ours. Can you elaborate on that at all and give any examples? I think historically, a digital operation like ours has grown up with big audiences on social media. So Facebook was was providing a lot of our readers, some from Twitter and a large part from Google. As that's changing, we're putting our focus more onto direct audience. So how can we encourage people to come to Metro Direct? What can we offer them to make them choose to come to Metro over other sites or as well as other sites? And how can we convert some of those social media readers? So the ones that have found us through Facebook, they tend to come, they're more loyal to perhaps to the social platform than they are to Metro at this point. So they might find us via Metro and they trust us and they like us enough to click, but do they intentionally come back to Metro? And that's what we really want them to do. So it's all about trying to convert those readers that might otherwise only maybe consume one page view per visit, or they might come back infrequently during the month into the type of reader that comes intentionally directly to Metro or consumes more pages per visit or more pages across the month, which is obviously the goal. Great. And to segue into one of our topics, is newsletters one of the ways that you're doing that? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a very neat segue. It's Newsletters offer us a really lovely opportunity to communicate more directly with the reader and to change our relationship with them. There's lots of reasons we set up newsletters. And in fact, each of our newsletters has somewhat different reasons and benefits behind it. But largely, if we know we've got a highly engaged audience who like our content and we know that they consume lots of it and they, whether whatever platform they come from, that they consume a lot of it, we think that offering them a newsletter gives us a, it gives us deeper engagement. It gives us a chance to talk more personally to them, to offer them something that might encourage them to change their behavior. So maybe it's the introduction or maybe it's the content that's within that that encourages them to open and engage more with Metro. Or maybe it's the links inside the newsletter that are encouraging them to click through and visit the site. So yes, it's about offering them a bit more, adding value to the reader and trying to encourage new behaviours. And so what newsletters do you have? How many have you got at the moment? So we've got 11 at the moment. There are a variety. So we've got a couple of lifestyle ones. One's The Slice, which has been going about eight years, and The Fix, again, similar length of time, which has its own Friday edition, which is a sex and dating one called The Hookup. We've got a very successful Soaps newsletter, which is one of our longest running. It's been going for around six years. It's got very high open rate. Those readers are between 40 and 50% open rate. So it's way above the industry average. That's a really good example of a set of readers who just cannot get enough content. So we just decided to deliver them even more bespoke content. We've got a property one, travel one, both launched during the pandemic, just amid conversations of how can we change the way that we reach our readers. We have a news updates one, which is, which is, it's a fairly recent launch in the last couple of years, but it's been our fastest growing, which has been really good to see. We had a real flurry of signups after big news events. So the Queen's death source actually increased our news list quite quite considerably. And that one's actually got a really great CTR as well. So the industry average is around 2.6%, I think, for click-through rate. And that one's double. And again, a strong open rate. A few more, we've got three club newsletters for football. So we've got Chelsea, Manchester United and Arsenal. And the reason we launched those is because 
we've got lots of content on those topics and those readers seem to be the most engaged. So we've launched newsletters just to cover their club news. We may launch a few more football ones when the time comes. We'll see how these ones go. Brilliant. And so you've mentioned a couple of metrics there. What do you think are the most important ways of knowing if a newsletter is successful? It's quite difficult with the tools we use to determine things like scroll depths and what exactly people are reading. So the key metrics I suppose we go on are open rates. If they're opening it, then clearly they, they want to read it each time it comes into their inbox. And the click-through rate. So that's the number of readers who will click on a link and visit the site. Now, the reason that they're not The only things we look at is because not all of our newsletters are designed to encourage purely clicks to sites. So some of them are all about the content you get when you open it. And the way we've decided that to date depends on a variety of reasons. So the Soaps Reader, we know that they come to our site a lot anyway. They visit our site regularly and they consume more page views than anyone else while they're there. So what we give them is a more bespoke experience, much more curated. So in the newsletter, they get a ton of exclusives that they won't, that won't have yet been published on the site. So there's a really good reason to open it, which I think is what explains the high open rate. And the editor who creates the newsletter is, he's brilliant. He's been our soaps editor for all time and he's a personality in the, in the industry. Like he knows everyone. He knows the EastEnders stars and the soaps writers. And you just know when you open that newsletter, you're going to get something you can't get anywhere else. And that's a brilliant selling point for a newsletter going on to a newsletter that might we might be looking for a click-through rate so something like the news updates newsletter now our news audience is much bigger they're more disparate we don't know as much about them and they tend to come in from a variety of different platforms so they don't consume many page views per visit like the soaps readers do you know they read a variety of different topics and they come they come fewer on fewer occasions during the month. So what we wanted to do with that one is something that was a bit more of a light touch. So there's not a great deal of copy that goes into it that's exclusive to the newsletter. But what we do is we put our absolute top clicking stories in that one each edition and we're trying to encourage them to visit the site. And what's quite heartening about that is that it does have our highest click-through rate. So that is working. So the bigger that one gets, the more benefit it will have to the site as a whole. Hi, I'm Anoush, and I host the New Statesman podcast. Twice a week, we get under the skin of Westminster to help understand what's going on and what's going to happen next. We interview politicians, policymakers, and people on the front line to get you the full story behind the headlines. Plus, hear from our award-winning editorial team, including political editor Andrew Marr, to get to the bottom of what on earth is happening. Listen to the New Statesman podcast. You can subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. And something else I wanted to pick up from what you said was about how some of the newsletters, some of your big ones, are six, eight years old and then others are quite new. And it feels like the last couple of years, there's been, even the past year or so, there's been a lot more talk in the industry about email newsletters. Like People are very excited about them more recently. So what do you think changed? Why is there lots of discussion about newsletters now? I think, as we mentioned earlier, I think the platforms that traditionally have delivered a lot of the traffic to online organisations are changing and you can no longer rely on your traffic coming from those sources. It's really important that we grow and look after our direct audience. So I think that's part of it. I think 
all businesses and media organizations benefit from knowing more about their consumers and their readers. It just means you can deliver them more of what they like. And I think newsletters give you a really nice way of learning more about your audience. There's instant feedback. Are they reading your newsletter? Are they clicking? The other thing you can do, which is very helpful for our business, is the conversation can be two-way. So you don't have to just broadcast like you do with a site. You can deliver them this product and you, you can ask them for their own feedback. You know, we've previously sent out surveys to our readers to ask them, do they like the content? Hopefully they will say yes. They do, they always <laughs> say yes. We asked our soaps readers, do you want more newsletter content or less? Or what kind of frequency would you be looking for? And they answered that they'd like it daily. So that was really interesting feedback. And we can actually adjust our products accordingly. We've sent out polls as well to ask readers what they think about certain topics or what they think about the newsletter itself. So yes, it opens up another channel of communication for readers, which is very helpful. And another element of social media is like people have talked about feeling overwhelmed by the amount of news they get. I've seen in a report, it mentioned that newsletters maybe are a counter to social media overwhelm as well, giving readers more control over what they see. Do you think that's an element of it as well for the consumer? I absolutely I think that's I think that's such a good point. How often have you sat there with your phone just endlessly reading and feeling like you're trying to finish the internet? <laughs> and it is overwhelming and you click from site to site. So what this gives you is a really neat curated product that you can that there is an end to. And I think there's a like you say, there is a move to that in the industry. And one of our own products in the group is the knowledge sure. in DMG. It's not one of Metro's, but it's a recently launched product. And that has, it, it gives you the news in a nutshell and it gives you some links to some explainers and it gives you a really rounded, but very potted rundown of the big stories of the day. And I think one of their USPs is that they said, at the end, it says, you know, you're done, you've caught up. And that's, it is quite a relaxing sort of feeling, isn't it? To think, thank goodness, I know everything now. I can just... <laughs> Go off and do something else. God, we all want to know everything. That's a problem. Yeah. Looking ahead into 2023 and even beyond with newsletters, are you happy with what you've got at the moment? Are you launching more soon? We're launching more. I think I think what we've just recently carried out an analysis on all our newsletters. So we're looking at open rate, we're looking at content, and we're looking at click-through rate, and we're trying we're going to now there'll be a big focus on optimizing all of those. We'll be looking at when we send and what exactly is in those newsletters and how we can how we can improve them. We've got a few more launches coming this year. The ones that are coming soonest are one that I'm very excited about is a gaming newsletter. Now, Metro's, we're quite well known for our gaming content. It's something that goes back a long way. And we've had the same editor throughout, David Jenkins. He's brilliant. And just like Soaps, it's another area where readers come back to site very frequently and they read a lot while they're there and they engage too. They, they leave comments, they write in. Some of our content, in fact, is created from these reader letters and it's some of our most successful content. So this community is very engaged and they're very, they're very keen for more. So we did talk to them about what they would like. And as a result, we'll be launching a newsletter that is very bespoke. It'll be written by our experts and what you get in that newsletter, you won't be able to find elsewhere. So it's going to be a very tailored experience to our reader. And that's because we know they already come to the site a lot and we know they read a lot. So now we need to give them even more. We need to give them even more of what they want and yes, potentially deepen that engagement. So that's coming. And we are also launching soon a money newsletter, which I know is a topic on everyone's mind. And probably to your point earlier, we may have reached saturation point already on <laughs> reading about cost of living. But there's still some really important ways that we can as, an, as a news organization, help people through this time, help them navigate it, whether that's 
explainers on mortgages or how to get rebates from the government or how to get the best discounts on on products or energy bills, etc. So it's going to be a very user-friendly guide to money. There'll be lots of other personal finance in there too, but I think primarily it's going to be about surviving this next tricky time with the cost of living crisis. That's very timely, yeah. What's great about these newsletters is and the instant feedback you get is that you can evolve the content. So as we emerge, hopefully, from the cost of living crisis, that letter, that newsletter can become, it can evolve with it. So we can talk about when people are starting to buy properties again, it'll be talking more about that sort of thing, navigating mortgages, or it might be about renovating your house rather than renting. So we'll change the topics to meet the user demand. That's a really good point. So it's quite a flexible product that you can update whenever needed and move forward. So it doesn't just have to be what it was when you launched. Yeah, I think that's really important not to be not to stay static and to keep looking at that feedback and think, are people still opening in it? If not, why not? What can we do? I think that's illustrated by our property newsletter, which when we launched it, the early part of the pandemic, you might remember there was a huge movement in the property market. People were leaving London. There was a huge exodus. They were upsizing. They were trying to get gardens. It was the time to launch a property newsletter, which is why it was, the open rate was so good. We noticed that the open rate started, or the click-through rate particularly actually, was affected as, as the cost of living crisis started kicking in and people were no longer buying properties. But So now we've moved towards rentals or home DIY, that sort of thing. So the content that people are now interested in has changed. So we've been able to move with that. Excellent. Okay. Really good summary of newsletters. Thank you. I just wanted to ask, you obviously mentioned doing different things to get more loyal audience or get people coming direct. Are there any other things that you're increasingly doing that it's worth mentioning for that purpose as well? Absolutely. Alongside newsletters, we're launching a lot more community projects. So it'll be about bringing readers to the site to comment, starting conversations and just driving more engagement within the site, particularly around big topics where we know the readers like to have conversations like soaps, gaming and big news topics of the day. So there'll be a lot more call to actions on new stories, maybe encouraging people to join into polls, to leave their opinion and just to drive much more traffic to the comment section. Because we know when people comment, they come back. They want to comment. They want to see what people have said about their comments and they want to, yes, they just want to engage more with more of the content. So that's just a benefit all round, really. It's more enjoyable for them and it's a benefit to us. That's interesting. I wonder if we'll see more people trying to drive comments a bit more i would be one to watch and then I think something that sort of ties all of it together perhaps is that when we look at audience figures there's a question over what's most important is it the reach and total size of your audience or is it how well engaged your audience is so how do you see those sort of two sides of the coin and is there one that's more important to you or trying to balance them I think you're you're absolutely right it's about trying to balance isn't it because obviously it's- having a large audience is helpful in terms of from a commercial standpoint for keeping the lights on the scale is very helpful but the more we engage with those audiences and the more we know about them the more they come back to us the more they visit so I think it's really about balancing isn't it it's about making sure you look after the readers you've got just making sure that you're still delivering what they need and as you grow growing in a healthy way so you're not just growing cost you're making sure that you're still delivering what you're what you know your readers like and what they'll keep coming back for. Brilliant. And then just a final question of looking forward more generally, how are you feeling? Obviously, it's looking like a tough time coming up. 
and in the, including in the advertising market. So how are you feeling about the year ahead, I suppose? It is a tough time. It is for all, all pretty much them. The majority of businesses. What I think is important for the year ahead is to be flexible and agile. So yes, we know it's a difficult time for, for advertisers, but we want to make sure that what we're offering them is appealing to them and it works for them. So we're working very closely with the paper. We're offering global products that the advertisers can really, they can shape really to their needs. So if you have a takeover on Metro, for instance, you've got print and you've got online, you could have podcasts, you can have the whole newsletter. There's a whole range of products that that offers something quite innovative and exciting to brands. And as Metro has always been, we're very open to working with advertisers on something that might they might not be able to run elsewhere on, say, a more traditional news brand. And I think that's what's always given us a really nice edge in the market. And I think that'll be more important than ever. It's just showing that we do things slightly differently. We do have a, a really interesting offering. And if we work closely with the brands, then we should all hopefully ride out this year together. Brilliant. Thanks for that, Charlotte. Great interview. So what do you think we can take away from that? Us publishers who want to raise our newsletter game, do it a bit better. So something I think is quite important is this idea that newsletters are not a one-size-fits-all thing. Deborah spoke about the way that Metro have planned their newsletters under two quite different models. So one looking for clicks back to the website and one for verticals like soaps with the most engaged readers. So they obviously see value in giving them exclusive content in the newsletter so that they continue coming back to the brand in, in various guises. So I think in a nutshell, it's a good example of how publishers don't have to pick one thing. So for example, either scale and reach or a small but engaged audience. So you can balance both and get great value out of doing that. And so easy to launch new things, isn't it? So that's why people launch them all the time. Like back in the day, launching a new print edition or new print section was quite an undertaking, but this is a lot easier to do, isn't it? Yeah, and what she said as, as well, actually, was about how you can adapt them into a slightly different thing if they get stale or if the narrative or the interest moves on. Just because you've launched a newsletter in this one topic today, you're not stuck with that. You can adapt it and move it forward. As you say, it's very adaptable in that way. Love it. Thanks for that, Charlotte. You've been listening to The Future of Media Explained. With me, Dominic Ponsford, Press Gazette UK editor, Charlotte Tobit, and expertly engineered, as always, by Adrian Bradley. You can read more about all the themes we discuss in this podcast on pressgazette.co.uk. And if you go onto our website, don't forget to have a look near the top. You can sign up for our newsletters. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.